I don't try and write strong female characters or strong male characters. I just try and write, hopefully, strong characters, and sometimes they happen to be female. J.J. Abrams. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. Our topic today is going to be sexism present in writings. And to be fair, we are going to be talking about sexism on both sides. Okay? Because it's a problem on both sides, you romance authors out there. Yeah, we love to call out men for how they write women characters while simultaneously writing very sexist versions of men in romance. I see it a lot of different places, yeah. That's true. I mostly see it in a lot of romance, and so that's where my bias is coming from there. (laughs) Today, we are going to be talking about identifying sexism in writing, but it is mostly going to be a modern, today's world, today's understanding, today's beliefs and knowledge about everybody. So we should not be using this to judge ancient authors with the same brush because we have completely different historical context. So what do I keep an eye out for? Body parts. One of the biggest ways that you can see sexism represented in writing are body parts with personality and opinions of their own. Men are really bad about this when writing about the woman's chest. Yes. It's like, she said, no, go away, but her boobs told me to keep coming. It's like, no, no. My boobs are not sending any sort of message. Sorry. It is the person's decision, not the body part's decision. The next thing to keep an eye out for, I feel like, is more frequently committed by women about men, and that is painting all of them with the same brush. So saying that all men are morons. Or we all know that men are just after one thing. If you're saying that all whatever, it can be very problematic. And the same way you're saying, well, all women. So many of the sites that we're talking about writing females well ended up going, this is a male author problem. When it's really not. It's an everybody problem. Of course, you can have exceptions to this. You can have statements like this in your story. Like a character expressing this. Saying, men are useless. But it is always a good idea to prove that wrong in some way. Have a man that is not useless to show that variety exists among everybody. The next one is not necessarily sexism, but it overlaps very easily with sexism. And that is assuming something about a person because of an outfit or clothing. This is something I encounter a lot with my interest in true crime especially in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where you would have a woman who was going out for a night and happened to be a little more scantily clad, a lot of people would start victim blaming and say, well, of course, that was inviting something bad to happen to her. That same idea of blaming the victim based on how they dressed can accidentally, or not so accidentally, make it into your book And that is a red flag for sexism. One of the other things that you can look for are your descriptions of people. Do you have excessive descriptions based on gender? For example, the husband and wife were both killed in their bed. 
She had been pierced with a dagger several times over, hair cascading over the edge of the bed in a crimson waterfall, lithe arms and long legs splayed like a monument to what they were doing when they'd been killed. Oh, and he was there too. This is one that I've seen with an author that I speak with in person. He does this kind of thing quite a bit, and he doesn't recognize it as sexism, so I wanted to make sure this note got put in there. Of course, if your point of view character is romantically interested in one and they had no idea who this other person was, then yes, their attention is going to be more on one person than the other. But, well, she's female, so I'm going to wax poetic about her versus he's a dude, so he's just a dude. It's not pretty writing. It's not beautiful. It's really annoying. Nothing makes me want to throw up more, honestly. Part of that is because when you have these excessive descriptions based on gender, like the example that we had, it tends to be very objectifying descriptions of the person. This woman is dead. She's been murdered. And the description of where her body parts are is very overtly sexualized. And she's dead. Unless they are writing from the point of view of the murderer trying to pretend he's not, there are problems. (laughs) (laughs) Our last qualifier identifying sexist writing is when someone feels the need to specify that this person is a particular gender. So he was a male nurse. She was a lady cop. Instead of just being, she was a cop, he was a nurse. These things that we decreasingly think of as traditionally gender roles in one way or the other, if you specify a gender, then you're perpetuating that a little bit. I see a lot of this, especially in early Reacher novels, where there are three detectives walking up and the lady cop. Part of the problem with that is that you are almost giving an impression that she's not worthy of really being called a cop but she technically is, so here are the three detectives and the lady cop. It feels very disingenuous. Now let's get into some examples to talk about whether or not these are or are not sexist in some way. She was a dull person, but a sensational invitation to make babies. Men looked at her and wanted to fill her up with babies right away. She hadn't even had one baby yet. She used birth control. There are times I wish we had uh, a video for this podcast. It wouldn't make sense. But if you could see Lee's expression right now, there's almost a hole in the wall from her banging her head against it. Acoustic padding, also forehead padding. I can't even with this sentence. The issue with this is that her body is being described in a way that is contradictory to how she actually is. Because it states at the end, she uses birth control, so she doesn't actually want to invite anyone to make babies. And also, why are men looking at her and being like, I want to fill her with babies? I get a very literal description of that, and I'm (laughs) picturing, like... Serial killer stuffing the turkey kind of thing? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Men want to fill her with babies. (laughs) Anyway, next example, because I can't with that one anymore. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Obviously, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. 
This one, it has a lot of historical context around it, but I don't find this one particularly sexist, mostly because the context. (laughs) In this novel, as I remember, it's been a while since I read it, the point of view character is making fun of the mom character who thinks that because he's single, he needs to get married. That's like his goal in life. And the fact that he has money means that one of her daughters must be the one to be married to this guy. So it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek moment that I feel like has been taken out of context. (laughs) If it were written in a modern day, I would be very annoyed at this. Because it's like, oh, well, he's single and wealthy, so duh, he wants to get married. (laughs) That makes no sense. Yeah, this is one of those, the historical context plays a big part in making me okay with this particular sentence, because like you said, I never read this line as serious. I never understood it as a, this is obviously the intention and meaning behind this, that everybody truly believes this. I always read this as a little bit of satire. She understood, as women often do more easily than men, that the declared meaning of a spoken sentence is only its overcoat, and the real meaning lies underneath its scarves and buttons. Yeah, I feel this one would apply better if it were something less gender-based and more neurotypical, neurodivergent-based. You have some people who simply don't read contextual clues. That gender doesn't matter, but they don't always understand that what is being said is not literally what's being said. Yeah. You could go, she understood that the declared meaning of the spoken sentence was only its overcoat. And you take out all of that as men compared to women, and we get a clear idea of who she is, and we avoid any threats of sexism. Not four days after I posted the letter, she arrived at the prison wearing an orange autumn dress, the strapless kind that could reverse a vasectomy. This goes to the what the character is wearing being a clear indicator of what the character is wanting, and the point of view character assuming certain things about what the character wants because of what they're dressed as. Like, why would you dress sexy at a prison? There's so much that just... I don't understand. (laughs) And yes, the fact that a dress could reverse a vasectomy is problematic. I I am impressed at that dress's medical knowledge and skill. It must have studied for years. So clearly, this is something that you either know that you're doing it or you argue that you're not doing it. But as someone who sees it fairly frequently in writing against both sides... I would encourage you to just laugh at it. Identify it, and if it's something that you don't have any control over, if it's not your own writing or someone that you're editing, just laugh. Don't get angry. It doesn't help anything. Just go, oh, this guy's a moron moving on. This whole episode is to help you identify that sexism in writing can happen regardless. So treat the other gender and your own as if they're individual humans. And as if you're stepping into their shoes, like our opener said, make them people first and some of them happen to be female or male. That's not as important, but it's a lot easier if you're stepping into the character's shoes and writing selfishly. 
If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>